Hello, friends, and welcome to the Sermons Podcast of Christ Church at Grove Farm. One of our goals here at CCGF is to help you take your next step toward Jesus and the person God designed you to be. We hope our sermons help you to take that next step. If you would like more information about the community here at Christ Church at Grove Farm, or if you would like to contact us, you can do all of that and more on our website, which is ccgf.org. And to get an even further taste of who we are, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Now, here is this week's message. Grace and peace to you. Glad to see you guys this morning. Thank you so much for having me back. I'm excited to get to be with you to talk to you about the wedding in Cana. Um, But before I do that, I just want to talk to you a little bit about a book I wrote called A Tool's Travels. In this book, I wrote this for my children. Uh, The the point of the book is it's about a a tool named Saul who uh, goes on a journey to discover his purpose. And the reason I wrote it for my children was to help them understand that if you're going to understand your purpose, you need to understand it in terms of who God is and who God created you to be. That's a resource that you could find helpful for your children or grandchildren. Um, It's available online, and I think there's a few copies here at the bookstore. But enough about that. Let's talk about our sermon today. Our sermon is called The Power of Symbols. The Power of Symbols, because I believe that that is the focal point of of the wedding in Cana. That is the thing that John is drawing our attention to in this passage. And so we're going to look at that together, but before we do, let's pray. Father, I pray that you would empower me to speak your word, to speak it as if, with such power as if you were here standing in my place. And I pray that you would shroud over me, cover me with your love, and speak through me to your people. And I pray that you would open our ears so that we can hear what you have to say. And I pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. So our our passage is called The Power of Symbols because I believe the key word in our passage found in John chapter 2 verse 11 is the word sign. And so let's read that together. Uh, It says, what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs, key word signs, through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Now you notice John could have used the word miracle. But instead, he uses the Greek word semeon instead of the Greek word dunamai, which would have been miracle, because he's trying to draw our attention to a very particular truth, which is this, that the point of the miracle and the point of the story is not that Jesus did a cool thing or that this is even the first of many cool things that he would do. This is a factual miracle that Jesus did do. But the point of the miracle, the point of the story is the details and the meaning that, the, that is found behind the story. It's what the story points to. In other words, this is a symbolic action taken by Jesus. Now, before we look at the particular symbolic significance of this passage, I want to spend a significant portion of our time together today talking about biblical symbolism in general. And so I'm going to start with a definition. A symbol is not the thing it represents or points to. A symbol is a sign that points to something other than itself. So, for instance, when Jesus uh, raised the cup of wine on the night he was betrayed, he said, this is my blood, which is given for you. 
for the forgiveness of sins, as often as you drink it, remember me. He's not saying this is literally his blood. He's saying this is a symbol which I want you to keep for all generations. And that's why here at Christ Church, we celebrate communion, the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ in the bread and the wine every month. And this isn't just how things work in religious circles. This is just generally how symbols work in general. For instance, Nike has that check marker, that swoosh, which is the symbol of their company. And they have a ritual, which has, which has been produced from that, of putting that symbol on all of their clothes. And the point is so that when we see their clothes, we'll know it's theirs by the swoosh, and then it will point our minds to the company that produced those clothes. So symbols often become rituals. So a symbol is not uh, the thing it points, or is not itself the thing it points to or represents. It is a sign that points to and represents something else, and it often becomes a ritual to help us remember the symbol and to think about what it means to be transformed in our hearts and in our minds. And symbols are very important to our God. Symbols are very important to our God. And in order to illustrate that point, why that is, I want to talk about one symbol that he instituted in the Old Testament, which is the symbol of the Passover. Now, some of you may be familiar with the symbol, but for those of you who aren't, I'm going to give you the spark notes. Okay, this is what happened. In the Old Testament, 14, over 1,400 years before the birth of Christ, God's people were in slavery. The Israelites were in slavery in Egypt. And so God sent his servant Moses to talk to the king of, of, of Egypt. Named, or his name wasn't Pharaoh, but their kings are called pharaohs in Egypt. He talked to Pharaoh and he said, let my people go. But Pharaoh was not interested in letting hundreds of thousands of free workers out of his kingdom. So he said, no, I'm not going to do that. So God sent 10 plagues to help convince Pharaoh to let his people go. And after the 10th plague, Pharaoh relented and allowed the Israelites to leave Egypt. That 10th plague was this. God released the angel of death into Egypt to kill the firstborn male of every single family in that realm. And that included the Israelites. But then God also provided a way out of this. And the way out was this. If the Israelites or any family were to take a lamb, a perfect spotless lamb, and kill that lamb and put the blood of that lamb over the doorposts of their home, symbolically covering their home in the blood of that lamb. And then if they were to take the body of that lamb and eat it in its entirety in their house, when the angel of death would come, it would pass over their house, thus the name Passover, it would pass over their house and they would be protected from death. And the day after that, they would be set free from slavery in Egypt and they'd become journeyers or sojourners to a promised land, a land that God had prepared for them. Now, does that sound like anything in the New Testament? Right? God's setting something up, isn't he? Some of you are putting the dots together, but for those of you who aren't, I'm going to connect them for you. Jesus is called the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And when he shed his blood on the cross, that blood was offered to you and for me for the covering of our sin, to cleanse us from our unrighteousness, so that in the final judgment, when death comes, it passes over us. But not only this, 
That blood sets us free from the bondage of the world, the flesh, and the devil. And we have been set free from that bondage, and now we are sojourners. We are journeyers going to our new home, a world prepared for us in heaven, a promised land from God. Isn't that amazing? Okay, 1,400 years before Jesus, that's set up. That is some serious planning. God has set that symbol up for the Israelites. But they didn't know what that was about. They had bits and pieces. They knew it was pointing to something, but they didn't have all the details. And that brings us to the first point that I want to make about symbols, and it's this. A symbol is a teaching tool that God uses in our lives. A symbol is a teaching tool that God uses in our lives. And this symbol that God put in the Old Testament, it was there to cultivate a certain type of heart and to change their minds so that they would, be, they would prepare themselves by making that symbol a ritual for Jesus Christ, for the salvation that God was going to bring, for the first coming of his son. Now imagine the Israelites were like, you know what? This is really arduous. I mean, it's, we've had a good run. It's been a good, we've had a couple of good hundred years of Passover, but let's be real. We got to come all the way to Jerusalem. I got to drag my family all the way, all the way to Jerusalem. I got to shell out all this money to buy all this food. And then I got to take weeks off of work to celebrate this. We've had a good run. Let's just can it. It's just a symbol. It's not a big deal. If they had made that decision, When Jesus finally came, how would they recognize him? They would have forgotten all of the points, all of the symbols and pictures and prophecies that God was putting in their culture and putting in their lives to point them to the coming of his son. And if they had just shucked the symbols and gotten rid of them, they would have missed him entirely. But you know, some people, but though Israel was faithful in keeping those rituals, some of the Israelites still did not recognize him. And that brings us to the second point I want to emphasize. Symbols are not just rituals to be repeated, they are opportunities for head and heart transformation. And when Jesus came, some of the Israelites still did not recognize him because they were keeping the rituals just to keep them. They thought that the point of the ritual was the keeping of the ritual, when the point of the ritual is to bring them to the symbol so that their head and their heart can be transformed. That's why God gave it to them. And this isn't just something that happened in Jesus' day. It happened throughout the Old Testament. Read with me what what the prophet Isaiah says to God's people. This is God speaking through Isaiah to the Israelites. He says this, The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me? says the Lord. I have more than enough burnt offerings of rams and the the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. Why is he saying, this is something God told them to do. Why is he suddenly saying, I don't want this? Because they had taken this ritual and it just became that. They weren't being transformed by what it meant. New moons, Sabbaths, and convocations. I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals I hate with all my being. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. 
When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening. Your hands are full of blood. You see, what, this, what had happened, because the point of the ritual for them was keeping it, they thought it was some kind of transaction between them and God. So they could, take, they could take advantage of their neighbor or their neighbor's wife or even kill their neighbor. If they kill a bull, give it to God, it's legal. God is pleased with me. So it became a, a means of the wealthy taking advantage of the poor because the wealthy can afford tons of animals. And so they can get away with murder. And God is saying, this is disgusting. You are taking this thing that I gave you to transform your heart from the inside out and you are making it an abomination. Stop. Stop. Look what he says in the next verse. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. The reason I gave you these symbols is what the Lord is saying. The reason I gave them to you is so that your heart would be transformed by them, so that you would learn through this symbol to do right. And, and this is exactly what Jesus also says to the Pharisees. Look at what uh, Jesus says in Matthew. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, the ritual. But you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, faith, or justice mercy, and faithfulness the heart transformation. You should have practiced the latter, the ritual, without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup, the ritual, but inside you are full of greed and self-indulgence. Their heart has not been transformed. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will be clean also. He's saying, it's not that I don't want you to keep this symbol in your heart. I want it to do what it was supposed to do, which is change you from the inside out. And it is because this symbol, which God had placed in the Old Testament, and the many symbols that he had placed, had not transformed these Pharisees and these teachers of the law that they could not see God when he was standing right in front of them. That's why symbols are so important to our Lord. And with that understanding in mind, let's look at the symbolism in our passage. So we're looking at John. We're going to start at the fifth verse. And it says this. It says, His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, so they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. And, and we know from the story that somewhere between when they draw that water out and give it to that master of the banquet, it becomes wine. And now they have tens of gallons of wine to finish this wedding, more than what they need. Now here's the question I want to ask you. Jesus took water used for ceremonial washing, and turn that into wine. Why would he do that? That water, used for ceremonial washing, was according to Old Testament customs. The point was for you to become clean before God. And what Jesus is saying, this is the sign that he's making, by turning that water into wine, he's saying that, that method, that water of the Old Covenant, it was good for its time, but it never really made anybody clean. 
It just pointed to something that would. And so I'm going to take this water of the Old Testament and I'm going to turn it into the wine of the new covenant. I'm going to turn it into my blood, blood that can actually take away sin, that can actually make you clean, that can actually transform you from the inside out and make you worthy of a relationship with the Lord God. And where is this event happening? A wedding. The Bible says that we are the bride of Christ and Jesus is the groom. And Jesus, just like a Jewish male from the Old Testament, during his engagement period with his wife, would prepare for a year a home for her to come and live with him in, Jesus is preparing a home for us so that when he comes to us, he is going to uh, take us to be with him where he is and have a feast. But not just any any feast. Revelation chapter 9 tells us that it is a wedding feast. And so your wedding, your wedding and your marriage and my wedding and my marriage isn't just about my spouse. It is a symbol about our relationship with the living God. Because when Jesus comes to get us, comes to get us, we are going to be united like we were in the garden. We are going to be in union with him in a similar way to marriage. And so what Jesus is doing at this wedding is he is giving the whole picture of salvation history in a microcosm. He's saying the Old Testament pointed to the moment that I'm about to inaugurate. It pointed to my blood. And when that blood is shed, that blood is going to inaugurate a wedding. It's going to inaugurate a marriage, a marriage between God and his people. Do you ever feel like God is farther away than he should be? The Bible says that's exactly how we should feel because that's what the fall did. And it breaks God's heart and it breaks our hearts. And that's why we want to be closer to him than he is. And he wants to be closer to us than he is. But Jesus' blood made a way so that that could be real. So that we could be close with him again. The way it was intended to be. That's what this story is about. Now I want to take a couple of minutes to emphasize a couple, the, the, the symbols that God is emphasizing in our passage. The first one is the symbol of communion. When we come to communion, what is it that we're thinking about? Because that that transformation of our mind will lead to heart transformation. What is it that we're thinking about? I encourage us to think about two things. First of all, that bread and that wine cost you and me nothing. But it cost Jesus everything. And when we feed on that bread and that wine, that blood and that body that he broke and he shed for us, Let's feed on it on our hearts and be thankful. So we should think about thankfulness. But the other thing we should think about, a lot of times in our songs and in our prayers, we say, Lord, I want more of you and I want less of me. I want you to come into me and I want you to take away all the evil and I want your spirit to have freedom. I want to submit to you entirely. That prayer that you say with your mouth, you are saying with your body when you come to communion. When you get on your knees and that bread is placed in your hand and you eat it, when that cup is placed before your mouth and you drink it, what you are saying to God, you're saying, Lord Jesus Christ, enter me and change me from the inside out. We are symbolically saying, Lord, enter me and change me from the inside out. And I encourage you, when it comes time for communion, be thankful in our hearts and then 
Welcome the Lord Jesus in again. Say, Lord, I want you even more. Change me from the inside out. The second symbol that's being emphasized is that of marriage. Now, it may be true that no one has ever told you this, but the day that you got married, it was about way more than you and your spouse, and that includes me too. When I got married, it was about way more than Amy and I. It was an agreement between God and us that we would symbolically represent his relationship with the church and the church's relationship with him for the rest of our lives. That's what we were saying. And maybe this is the first time you've heard this. If that is, good news, your marriage has so much more potential than you're currently experiencing. Because this is a gift from God. It is a symbol. It's not just a ritual. This marriage is a symbol to transform our hearts and our minds to help us understand who our God is. Where the man represents Christ and the woman represents the church. Now, if this is new, here's where I encourage, this is your homework for today. We have no Steeler game afterward, so good news, we've got the time. <laughs> I encourage you to look at Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Genesis chapter 1 and 2, and Ephesians chapter 5. Because it's in those three chapters of Scripture that the symbolism of marriage, the meaning behind marriage, is given to us. Also, Greg and Rebecca Fitchell are giving a class called The Meaning of Marriage where they're talking about it. Uh, Tim Keller wrote a book called The Meaning of Marriage, and they're emphasizing points of that book. I think the class is closed for this semester, but I encourage you to beg them to give it next semester so that we can continue to learn what marriage is all about. And this is why Christians are so protective on this issue, because we know what it means. And we know that if the, if the Israelites had forgotten their symbol when Christ came the first time, they would not have recognized him. And so we want to be prepared for when Christ comes again. And so one more thing, and this is bonus material, if you're a single person in the congregation, you are a valued member of this, of this congregation. And we are so thankful that you are here because you have a vital role to play because there is symbolism in your life as well. Marriage is a symbol of our relationship with God in this life and of what is coming in heaven, a, a type of union. But the symbol of the new life and the new creation, which we will have in heaven, is given to us by a celibate man the man, Jesus Christ. That's the picture of the life that is to come. And so a single celibate person in this world is a symbol to themselves, to the church for their own edification, for the edification for the church, and also as a witness to the world of what is to come. And if you're looking for the scriptures behind that, I encourage you to read Matthew chapter 19, Matthew chapter 22, and 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And it is in those passages that the symbolism is spelled out for all the single people. Thank you for your witness, and thank you married people for your witness. I want to say one more thing before I close. I do not know the meaning behind all of these symbols. The Apostle Paul calls them mysteries. He talks, the Apostle Paul talks about the mysteries that were revealed in Christ with all of the symbols that God had given the Old Testament people. And when Jesus came, he revealed what those mysteries meant. And, and I believe it's Peter who says that angels long to look into these things. 
I don't know what it all means yet, but I have resolved to do this, that I will keep these symbols until our Lord comes in glory so that I will be ready to see him and I will know what I am seeing because I have allowed these symbols to transform my heart and my mind. And if I am asleep when he comes, then I'm going to pass this to my children so that they can keep these symbols so that they are ready for the coming of our Lord. Will you do that with me? I believe you will. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the instruments of your wisdom. I thank you for your, your overwhelming kindness and love that transforms us from the inside out. I thank you that you don't just leave us here with no clues as to what you're doing and what you're going to do. But instead, Lord Jesus, you give us these symbols that if we will take them into our hearts and let them transform our minds, we can see what you're doing and we can make ourselves ready for that coming glory which you will bring in your son, Jesus Christ, when he returns to get his bride. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And I pray all this in the powerful name of our Lord. Amen.